This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. The topic of today's podcast is Angels, Vampires, Lies, and Educational Overlords. It's an excerpt from a podcast I did a little bit earlier. So the first part, let's look at the big lesson. And there's a lesson, and there's the lesson beyond the lesson. And the lesson beyond the big lesson here is that when teaching from your highest place, the teacher and the student become one. When you're teaching from your highest place, learning goes both ways, like electrons on an alternating current wire. Meaning that you're learning from your students and your students are learning from you. Now, teaching from your highest place doesn't mean that you're always teaching most effectively, but usually you are. We all have lessons that don't go just right, and that's okay. If you've never failed, you haven't tried enough things. Failure is an important part of success. But when you're teaching from your highest place, you're teaching with good intent. This means you're teaching from a place of humility, caring, and compassion, not ego. You're teaching from love. Ouch, and I said it right there. Love, that word. Let's take a look at the word love. Now, did you ever think you'd hear that word in a podcast about reading instruction. And I admit, I was more than a little uncomfortable when it first came out of my fingers and slipped onto the page. Right away, I wanted to pull it back. I started looking for another word, like kindness or compassion or care. But these words just didn't get to where I wanted to go. Love is a powerful word. But if you're uncomfortable with that word love, we can use the term unconditional positive regard. There. Does that make you feel better? They're relatively similar. With love or unconditional positive regard, you seek to nurture, to give to yourself, to others, and to your environment without conditions. Love or unconditional positive regard is first a disposition or state of mind that then manifests itself into action. Now let's talk about secrets, vampires, angels, and lies. I had no plans to write about these things when I started this podcast. But like the word love, this part of the podcast just slipped out of my fingers and onto the page. (coughs) First, I want to tell you about the secret. You may think you're teaching reading, and this may be so on the surface level. But on the deep level, if you're really teaching, if you're using using meaning-based reading instruction... You're really teaching your students life. Reading good books, talking about good books, 
writing and sharing our stories, listening to the stories of others is life. Helping students to use literacy to find out who they are and what they may become helps them come alive. Teaching students to develop their full literacy potential is bringing them fully to life. Teaching students to be and become literate is life-giving. We're not here just to teach children to sound out words. That would not be life-giving. We're here to help children be and become literate. And to be and become literate is to use reading and writing for authentic purposes. Don't let the phonics penguins, the number monkeys, and the educational overlords distract you from this. And let's talk about vampires. Vampires are real. Yes, they are. They seek to suck the life out of us. In education, the vampires try to suck the life out of us through their top-down standards, their mindless mandates, and their really silly laws related to skills-based reading instruction. They seek to make teachers merely technicians on an assembly line who mindlessly implement standardized curriculum and obediently follow the dictates of the educational overlords. The educational overlords don't want teachers to think. They only want them to follow directions. And they don't want students to think, only to respond to letter stimuli. The educational overlords see the world of education through the scratched and distorted lenses of standardized tests and profit. Let's take a look at the lies. The educational overlords in Minnesota who assign standards to teacher education courses would have me teach my students lies. For example, they want me to teach my students, quote, the ways in which reading achievement is related to phonological and phonemic awareness including the ability to recognize word boundaries, to rhyme and to blend, segment, substitute, and delete sounds in words. And to teach this would be a lie. These people of the lie are asking me to lie to my students, to teach them the lie. Yes, there is a correlation between phonological awareness, of which phonemic awareness is a subset, and reading achievement. <coughs> they co-relate, or they appear together. That does not mean that one thing causes another thing. Correlation does not infer causation. Phonological and phonemic awareness do not cause reading achievement. Now, if you were to spend a lot of time teaching phonological and phonemic awareness, yes, students will score higher on tests of phonological and phonemic awareness. Absolutely. But would the results be persistent, meaning would they last, and more importantly, would 
the results, would the skills transfer to authentic reading situations in which students were asked to create meaning with print? That's what reading is, creating meaning. Both the National Reading Panel and I would say no. And would teaching these things be more effective than reading a lot of good books, writing our stories, and learning skills within this context? And again, there's a good chunk of research that says no. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't teach these things to your students if you're a reading teacher. I don't want anyone to pull this out of context, but they will. These are important but small parts of early literacy instruction. The problem is that the overemphasis on these small parts gets students focusing on small parts, which is individual words, instead of the big parts, which is meaning and ideas. And besides, we never encounter individual words floating in space outside a meaningful context. We always see them in the context of something. Even words and si words on signs and labels are in the context of a place or a product. And context is an important part of recognizing words and creating meaning. Here's another lie the state of Minnesota wants me to teach my students. Quote, the instructional progression of phonological awareness for example, words, syllabies, onsets and rhymes, and phonemes. Well, this too is a lie. There is no instructional progression of when or in what order these things should be taught, or even if they should be taught at all. They made this up. Show me a bit of supporting research that might indicate that teaching these things has a causal effect on reading achievement or that it's more effective than reading lots of good books and writing our stories with skills instruction taught in the context of this. Is that more effective than teaching them in a specific order rather than teaching them as students are ready for these skills? Now, early on, when children are learning concepts, of print in pre-K, they do need to know what a word is. Absolutely. They need to be able to see that a combination of squiggles on the page, they need to be able to point to it, know that's a word. And they know, they need to know that one group of squiggles is separate from another group of squiggles. They should also know that combinations of squiggles mean something. They need to know that sentences contain these things and they're called words, and each word is a separate thing. They need to know that words have sound parts called syllables. They don't really need to know what a syllable is, but they should know that words have sound parts. For example, the word silly has two sound parts, sil and e. Why is this important? Well, it gets them ready to put letters to sounds when writing, and to see and hear word parts when using phonics to recognize words. But that's just a small part. And there is no instructional progression. 
that must be. There's no research to support the proposition that teaching the instructional progression of syllables or any other of these things has a causal effect on anything other than the profits of the educational overlords. Now let's talk about the angel. These are some of the lies I've been asked to teach my students. And why does the state of Minnesota want me to lie to them? For-profit entities and a radio journalist who wanted to make a name for herself and lots and lots of money have convinced lawmakers that the lie is real. And I will teach these things to my students. Yes, I will. But at the same time, I have a moral obligation to my students to teach them why these lies are lies. I owe it to the taxpayers who pay my salary and the students my students will someday teach to teach them the correct thing. So I've been wrestling with an angel this semester. I have a moral dilemma. I want to help my students develop their full teaching potential so that they in turn are able to help their students develop their full literacy potential. And I want to get them ready to take the stupid teacher licensure test, which has no predictive validity, but I want them to pass that. Now I can do this and not lie at the same time. I can't lie, but I can show them the lie. So I've been wrestling with an angel this semester. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I am your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.